Welcome to Always Real Talk. I'm Kwame Brown. In our studio, we have with us Janice George. Janice George is a candidate for the Ward 4 Council seat in the District of Columbia. Janice, welcome to Always Real Talk. Thank you. Thank you, Kwame. I am so happy to uh, be uh, be here with you. I remember in my youth mayor days uh, meeting you at Legislative Weekend. Uh, you were listening to the youth. So. Absolutely. I remember uh, you were there. You were one of the youth mayors and one of the organizations in the District of Columbia. Uh, you were bright. You were smart. You were like, yeah, da, 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 da. I think I still have a picture somewhere uh, of you. But I, I want to jump right into it because now you are, you know, running for uh, Ward 4 council member in the District of Columbia. Let me start off by saying that, you know, you're a third generation uh, Washingtonian, uh, Alice Deal graduate, as well as a School Without Walls graduate. You have uh, racked up uh, some impressive uh, endorsements. Uh, you have the Attorney General, Carl Racine, that has endorsed your campaign. You have the at-large council member, Alyssa Silverman, that has endorsed your campaign. You have the Ward 4 State Board of Education, uh, Francis, uh, Francis O'Leary, I think I got that right, uh, that, it has, that has endorsed your campaign. And then I was looking at the organizations that, that have endorsed you. Uh, one, you have the uh, Metropolitan AFL-CIO, that has endorsed your campaign. Um, you have a, a, a list, you have Local 25. These are the uh, restaurant workers that have endorsed your, I mean, the hotel workers that have endorsed your campaign. Um, you have the Metro Transit, uh, that's the Metro uh, workers that uh, have endorsed your campaign, which is the union folks there. And then you have the uh, grocery retailers that uh, have endorsed your campaign. And then I went on a little bit further because, you know, we always research what's going on here. And you have Greater Greater Washington that has endorsed your campaign. You have uh, the Sierra Club, uh, another progressive organization. You have the D.C. for Democracy that has endorsed your campaign. Um, and then you have the Jews for uh, Justice and, and so many others. So I wanted to get that out the way because clearly you have racked up an impressive amount of people and organizations uh, that have endorsed your campaign. Why are you running for the Ward 4 Council seat and what do they see in you uh, to get this many people behind you? Yeah, you know, I'm running here in Ward 4 because we need leadership who's going to put people first, um, who is going to listen to the needs of Ward 4 residents um, and working families and put that above special interests. And so my uh, getting into this race, you know, started for me, it's been a journey back in 2016. Um, I, you know, had to take up the first year's journey. I had to take leave to care for my father. I ended up taking uh, my sick leave. I took all of my vacation leave and I ended up having to take unpaid leave to care for my father. And so when, um, you know, uh, in the spring of 2016, unfortunately, when my father passed away, um, I wasn't regretful at all, but I did become resentful at that. That's the fact for so many having to take care of your parents, having to take care of your spouses, having to take care of your children and deserving a living wage while doing so. And so in 2016, right after my father passed, we were voting for it here as a city on paid family leave. Um, and I went to go advocate and tell my story of why it's so important. And despite my efforts, um, our current council member voted against paid family leave. 
And then in 2017, it came Topa Rights, our tenant opportunity to purchase act rights. Um, and, you know, the house that I grew up in on 2nd and Kennedy Street, um, you know, when I came back from law school, you know, my mom let us know that the rent had gone up twice. I was going up a third time. And even my mom with a good union job, she's an American Postal Worker Union member and um, here in Ward 4, she served. And, um, you know, that was the first reality where I started. I worked as a waitress. I worked at Nordstrom Rack to help my family survive. Um, and the house that I'm, you know, talking to you from now, we were able to exercise our token rights. Uh, the owner of the house said, hey, I'm selling. You guys got to go. And I said, great, I'm buying. I'm exercising my token rights, my first order refusal, and bought the house. Well, months after I was able to do that, uh, our current council member co-sponsored a bill to take away token rights, the exact rights that I used to help my family from being displaced. Uh, he voted to take it away. And then 2018 came, Kwame, and it was Initiative 77, uh, a one fair wage for tip workers. And I had worked as a tip worker throughout law school to help my family, so I knew that $3.89 just wasn't enough. Um, but I say no matter where you fell on the issue, we voted for it as a ward, and we voted for it as a city. And as soon as we voted for it, uh, after we voted for it, our leadership and our current council member voted uh, to repeal the will of the voters, and you know we're already disenfranchised here by not having statehood. So, you know, for me, it started in 2016 when it came to paid family leave. Our current council member sided with uh, business interests. 2017, when it came to token rights, we sided with developer interests. And then in 2018, when it came to the will of the voters and, what we, and a fair wage for tip workers, we sided with the big restaurant industry. You know, every time it's come between working families and residents, we sided with special interests. And so, you know, I'm running um, because I want to have leadership here in our ward that's unbought by developers, developers and corporations, unbossed by the current administration, and who's going to be a voice for working families, residents, and everyone here in Ward 4, and who's truly going to put people first. And so that's how I got in this race. And that story, my story, connects with so many union workers who know that story, who recognize, you know, that I can't, I grew up in a union family. You know, that okay. resonates with so many, and, and that's what people have been touched by and why people have joined this movement uh, to put people first again here in our city. Okay, well, uh, and clearly you're running because you believe you could bring some change. I want to go jump right into your vision for D.C. because it's, you know, of course, posted on your on your on your website. And and I take it these are in order because it's a long list. I think it's about eight or nine of them. And it starts off with tackling the uh, housing affordability crisis uh, in the District of Columbia. Um, how exactly would you do that? Yeah, you know, my platform when it comes to housing is we need to produce more housing, we need to preserve our housing, and we need to protect our housing. When it comes to uh, producing more housing and protecting it, um, I'm specifically looking at making sure we're making the investments in the housing trust fund, our local supplemental rental programs are actually robust and able to serve residents. I'm talking about rent control. We haven't updated our rent control laws for over 30 years. Right now, the qualification our buildings before 1976. So what I'm asking for and proposing as a part of um, the Reclaim Rent Control Coalition is actually to bring that up to 2005. Make that buildings built before 2005 can actually qualify for rent control. That would substantially increase the amount of rent control apartments we can have in our city and protect people, especially our seniors, from rent hikes that we see. We can also add more rent control housing by making four unit buildings a part of that right now. It's five unit buildings and, and then right. having 
and mandatory 2% increase, which hasn't kept up with inflation. And until our wages make it to the same rate of inflation, we should be taking that mandatory 2% off. And so that's just ways I'm looking at reforming housing here in our city um, and making sure that everyone can afford to stay here. Well, let me just note that you are a Howard uh, University Law School graduate. Uh, as well. But I, I want to, because when we talk about affordable housing, everyone says we, we need more affordable housing. This is how we're going to do it and so forth and so on. Um, you laid out something that, I mean, right now under rent control, you know, your rent cannot go up more than this, than the CPI, right? With, with the rate of inflation. Is that, and that, that that's currently the law. Plus 2%. So the law is CPI plus 2% is actually a requirement. So one of the reclaimed rent control um, provisions uh, that we're asking for is to take that mandatory 2% off. As, as a result, that is what has gotten us to a place where it doesn't keep up with the inflation. Well, and it was it was a plus two percent. It was something way before that, before it was all negotiated uh, down to CPI plus two percent, which is which is what right now? The current CPI. I don't know the current CPI number. I know that the current um, right now our current AMI is about one hundred and twenty-two thousand dollars a year as our AMI goes. So I would imagine that our CPI wouldn't be off from what our current AMI is looking like right now, which is one hundred and twenty-two thousand dollars a year. Right, but once it, if in fact someone has a rent and their rent is a thousand dollars a month, they can only go up CPI plus two, right? So what would that be next year? Like, how much are you actually saving a, 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 a individual that's renting right now for a thousand dollars a month, and they have a CPI plus two? What would their What would their rent be next year under it, your proposal versus where it is now? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, it could, it could honestly, honestly vary, vary amongst, amongst the different, different apartment buildings, buildings and what their currently their rate rate, rate rate is at. But you could have someone who current rate is eight hundred. Um, and instead of going up to what we've seen sometimes, $800 going up to $1,280, $1,250, they would not go up to approximately $800 to $950, which is a little bit more reasonable, you would say, than about $1,250. Right, but I mean, CPI is tied to the rate of inflation, right? Mm-hmm. Right, the cost of living, right? So it's a cost of living plus two, right? Plus a 2% mandatory increase, Right, so, so I'm just saying if it's $1,000, you know, right now they would be paying what without you changing the law? If, if they're at $1,000 right now and right. They, the hikes go up, you're asking? Well, no, just next year, if we don't change the, if we don't change the law, we don't and change I'm, I'm, I'm paying $1,000 right now. We all know it's CPI plus two, right? Mm-hmm. What would I be paying next year if, you're, if your law is not implemented? Okay, okay, okay. Well, no, 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 no worry about it. I guess I was, I was just trying to give, I was trying to give, uh, you know, grandma plus, you know, the people that we're going to save money, how much they would be saving, right? Um, because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about people that are trying to stay in their homes and they can't because their rents are going to go up so much, they're not yeah, afford yeah. to be there. So it has to be some savings. But we, we, we can get back to that. Um, I, I, I just want to go to your, your next uh, issue that you had on here had to be uh, demanding accountability and integrity from elected leaders. I know a little something about that. So that's your number two. Why is that number two on your list? 
for me, um, particularly here in Wartburg, um, you know, our council member has had a number of campaign finance violations. Um, some have um, been over $100,000 in campaign violations of un, you know, unaccounted for funds. We've had uh, developers and corporations really donating tons of money um, and within uh, to our candidate um, here in Ward 4 to the incumbent. So, for example, W.C. Smith uh, is a developer, uh, a landlord here who approximately uh, during this COVID crisis tried to um, evict over, filed for eviction of over 120 uh, tenants. Um, they, um, also they also donated, donated over $6,800 to the incumbent. incumbent. Um, and so when it comes to, you know, who's donating to campaigns, it's so important that we get that type of money out of it so that we can know that our leaders are making decisions, uh, not based on who's funding, but on what's best for the community. And so, you know, that's so important for me, um, especially when we talk about the integrity of our leadership. I'm a fair election candidate. Um, this is the first time we're doing a fair election here in this city. Um, and it's an opportunity uh, for, you know, everyone to be have a seat at the table, everyday people. You know, I say Shirley Chisholm said if they don't give you, uh, give you a chair, you a seat at the table, you bring a folding chair. Well, fair elections is allowing for people to have a folding chair at the table. Um, so I'm not taking any development money, corporate money, any PAC money. And so that means my vote is involved before I get on the council. It means that, you know, I am beholden to the residents of this ward and, and of no one else. Maximum anyone can give me is is fifty dollars, and so you know, I think fair elections is the first way we stop it. The other way is, you know, we saw not having outside jobs. Uh, you know, is another way we can benefit from you know people be believing in our leadership and restoring that level of integrity. Right, but I mean, fair elections means the taxpayers are, are paying for uh, footing the bill for everybody who wants to run, right? So if it doesn't matter who you are, as long as you collect the necessary things necessary, then you get the money and you get to you get to actually run. Is that correct? You have to qualify. Well, I mean, you, I mean, you you qualify. You collect the signatures. You collect the money, right? You got to get 150 residents to uh, donate the maximum amount of fifty dollars. So 150 DC residents have to be able to donate to your campaign um, to be able to even start and qualify. So everyone who is running against fair election hasn't qualified for fair election. But yes, um, it is an allocated amount of funding. Um, that goes, that is allocated in the budget to fair election candidate um, and, and, and making uh, that as something that's important for the city moving forward. So are you, are you prepared to increase the number of uh, money that's in that budget for fair elections if you was to become the Ward 4 council member? Uh, I don't think we, we, we will need to. I mean, we haven't even, with the money that's already there, we haven't even brushed uh, the surface of, of how much money was allocated. Um, I don't think that we're going to need to. Um, and, any, and, and at the end of this campaign, any money that doesn't get utilized by any of the candidates goes back to the city to that same exact fund. Um, so those funds stay within there. Um, and so, you know, I think that fair elections are so important, um, you know, because of the fact that, we need to, you know, the city is better off taxpayers are better off um, having leaders who are fair election candidates um, because we lose lots of money as a city with unfair contracts, single source contracts uh, of, uh, you know, companies, shell companies that may not exist um, that are getting contracts within our city. And so, you know, taxpayers lose money when we make bad deals and we have bad contracts at the same time. Um, so I think, you know, it's more important to look at our, our city as a bed of democracy, the seat of democracy, and promote fair elections um, as a result of that. And I think we'll actually save more money in the end when we're fair election candidates. 
Now, when you start to look at Ward 4 in terms of the schools, and, uh, you know, you know, my father lived in Ward 4 for a long time, so I'm very familiar with Ward 4. Um, when you look at the schools, which, you know, clearly has been some changes in the school system. We have brand new schools, new recreation centers. You have new development in the ward. You have a, a mayor who has a, uh, a high approval rating in the city, high approval rating in Ward 4. Um, I mean, what would you do differently? I mean, I, just, I want to get a sense of what you would do differently versus what's there. Clearly, you want, don't want outside income. Clearly, you're on, you know, on uh, publicly financed campaigns. I, I got you on that. Um, clearly, you want to look at the affordable housing and change the, the structure as it relates to uh, the CPI plus two. And I think you just want to make it a CPI period, right? And you think it should just be C CPI and not the CPI plus two. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Until, until, until our wages, uh, our, our meet up with, with that. Where, um, our wages reflect the inflation as well. Okay. And then, and I think this is a, an important topic, right? The CPI plus two. One, there's a cost associated with it. That two, right? That has to be that has to be met. We have to figure that out. But two, affordable housing is big all over the District of Columbia. I think the mayor has now has a proposal to uh, create affordable housing and. Uh, Ward three. What is your what is your view on that? Do you think that housing that money should stay to wards like Ward four and other wards that you know really are still looking for affordability? Or you think that we should finance affordable affordable houses in Chevy Chase and in uh, and uh, and off of MacArthur Boulevard? Yeah, um, you know, absolutely, we need to um, have a diverse a share of housing. So I think Ward Three also, you know, um, and, and I talked to Ward Three neighbors when I was knocking towards pre-COVID nineteen, um, and uh, and those who live in Chevy Chase and Barnaby Woods, which is Ward Four area of that side, um, and they have been open to it. I think we have to, um, you know, diversify where affordable housing is in order to meet our goals. Um, we have to look at building density around areas of transit. And that's one of my focus areas is continuing to build that density around the areas of transit. So, um, yes, I think Ward 3 um, can uh, have more affordable housing units um, and we can build those areas of density there. They have the Tinley Town Metro Station. I know very well who's going to deal. Um, you know, areas near there um, where we can continue to build housing. Um, uh, and I guess Cleveland Park, you know, they have a number of actually. Adams Morgan, those areas where you keep going down the red line. Uh, tons of areas where we can continue to build density and make more affordable housing. And, you know, I think it's important that housing is connected to so many other things like transit, but also food deserts, right? We talk about Ward 7 and Ward 8 and the food deserts they're experiencing, where there's a plethora of available food options in those in areas like Ward 3, right? Um, there's amazing schools in areas like Ward 3 as well. So the more we disperse housing, the more we disperse other resources like transit, like um, education. And so absolutely Ward 3 should, you know, uh, um, help in meeting our goals. Okay. Great. Yeah, all right, yeah. great. So when it comes to schools uh, in Ward 4, which is a big issue all over the city, uh, uh, what is your plan to increase the quality education that you don't see happening now? And how can you do it from a council seat, uh, which, which clearly people have been trying to figure out for a long time? 
Yeah. And so, you know, education is one of my big issues. I, I served on the school board as student representative of the Board of Education under Dr. Clifford Changing, Nikki Clifford Capritz, um, and also served as a city year core member actually working in schools to get students back on track uh, to graduation as a core member. And so um, when, it's, when we talk about education, I think there's three things we need to recognize that our investment in education has to go beyond just modernization, just beyond what the school building looks like. We've improved the number of our schools and they look great on the outside. And the way we do that is an investment, one, first in our educators, right? Um, in our educators and our administrators, right? And so we talk about our educators. We have one of the highest turnover rates for teachers, um, which creates instability in a number of our public schools. And so we have to change the evaluation system, negotiate with the teachers union to renegotiate evaluation system that works and does, isn't punitive and push teachers out of our community. And we need to have longer contracts for our administrators, like our principals and assistant principals, because no one can get something done in a year and they deserve their ability. So when you have, when you're losing teachers and you're losing administrators, it creates instability. And then you start what? Losing students out of that school. And with the education system where we build, we put money based on enrollment, uh, when we do that, uh, when we, we have instability, we have less students and the school gets less funding. Um, and so for me, as, as a council member, it's about having uh, the, the, the oversight, oversight over our, edu our funds and education. education. We, we talk about, about are our funds for at-risk learners and English language learners actually making it to students? Most of the time, those funds are getting utilized for something else. Sometimes supplies, sometimes a missing teacher. Okay, just from a time perspective, I know you have a lot of big ideas. So one, I just want to go back to affordable housing, because which is very important. You want to increase the money in affordable housing the production trust fund, right? You want to get rid of the two on the CPI plus two, which, right, you want to change that law. Then you, uh, on schools, you want to invest more in our teachers. Uh, yeah, I want to invest okay. more in our teachers. Okay, you want more teachers, you want to invest more into our EL, ESL student base and make sure that money doesn't get moved around. You want to keep the money where it needs to be. Well, English language learners and at-risk. And at-risk. Yeah, two, yeah, two thousand, two thousand five. But I mean, but that's that's a, uh, but, but but that's not a uh, direct cost to the government, right? I'm just looking at things that are direct cost to the to the government. It is a law you can change it, you know. There will be a cost, but that's not directly to the government. Actually, it is because it'll be less revenue that comes in and so forth. And on. But let's let's move past that, uh, because those are all progressive. Because you see yourself as a progressive candidate. Is that correct? What is that, what does that mean? What is what? You believe in putting people first. You believe in making sure that government is taking care of everyone. Um, you believe in ending cycles of poverty. You believe in investing in public education. You believe in, you know, making sure that, you know, we address our homeless population in our city and ending chronic homelessness. And so when I go to knock people's doors here, and, you know, I, I grew up in Second City Street. I grew up in Ward So when I'm knocking doors on Sheridan, I don't say, oh, hey, I'm a progressive. I say, hey, you know, do you care about affordable housing? Do you want to see our seniors age in place? And someone says, yes. I said, okay, that's a progressive value. 
Do you believe in public education and public school teachers and funding our schools adequately? Yes, that's a progressive value. So, you know, I think it's more important to, to get out of the labels and get to the meat of what that means. And when I knock doors and talk to neighbors, they identify with the values that it means to be progressive more than they do with, hey, well, Right. But they seem to be all democratic values to me. All of a sudden, they're called progressive. But they, I mean, they're all democratic values. They, that's what they used to be, just democratic values, right? Things that people want. Now they're called progressive values. But in some areas of the city, progressive, you know, people are looking at progressives kind of funny because progressives don't, you know, they don't, they see all these issues that they're trying to fight for, but they don't see any movement. Right. They don't see any movement. People can't afford to still stay here in the District of Columbia. We're still talking about adequate jobs. We're still talking about, you know, workforce training. We're still talking about a number of pathologies that plagued our community for a long time. We're still talking about them. And now they're called progressive. But people don't see that. Um, So I I didn't know if you wanted to be the progressive label or you just have some ideas and you believe strongly in some of the things that uh, people are labeling as progressive. You know, every all Democrats aren't the same, right? Um, and people talk about gentrification all the time. Kwame, we've been talking about it for a long time. I was I was quoted in the 2006 article talking about it, and I'm here 14 years later. Gentrification didn't just happen, right? In an all Democratic city, gentrification didn't happen. It was people and policies that allowed for gentrification to happen, right? So everybody can't. Uh, be on the same where, you know, these are democratic values because democratic values wouldn't have allowed for the mass amount of gentrification we've seen. It's democratic values to believe that someone should have paid family leave, that you should be able to care for your children, I should be able to care for my parents, I should be able to care for my children and deserve a living wage. That could be seen as a democratic value, but right now it's being seen as expressive values because there's Democrats who are against it. Um, And so we talk about democratic values, right? There could, some people believe in strong public schools and now some people are trying to privatize so one is seen as a progressive value one is seen now as just a regular democratic value so i think we, even we talk about in the national landscape right now right we had a whole presidential election and what are we hearing right now even black people right now are saying you know the democrats aren't looking out for us the democrats aren't thinking about working families that's why you have a new working families party the democrats aren't trying to solve problems in black and brown communities right and so we got to come to a place where we realize that everyone who's labeled as a Democrat isn't a Democrat, so we've had to come up with other labels for people to be able to identify, oh wait, do you support strong union jobs? Will we ever see a development like the wharf happen where we don't produce new union jobs? Or will we have development where union jobs come out, right? And so that's where we started to have these labels happen. And I've been given the label to myself, but people said, oh, what you're saying are progressive values. I'm just a young, I'm a person who grew up in city and have seen us grow prosperous and not everybody benefit and who want to make that happen. Okay, well, um, let me just say that you clearly you uh, have a lot of energy, clearly you have ideas, um, and when it comes down to how you are going to fund these ideas, given the fact that we're faced with you know, clearly, you know, over a one point something billion dollar uh, a shortfall. Of course, there's a rainy day fund and people gonna say get into the rainy day. I, I got that. Right. Uh, but clearly that's only going to last for so long. Um, and I think that we are yet to see what's really going to take place from an economic 
situation. We're going to see that over the next four months. And so how are you and what is your thought process if you were to get elected uh, and you was to start in January uh, with a uh, situation financially uh, that could not meet the needs of what you're trying to accomplish? Are you interested in like how are you going to fund that stuff? Because I think that's going to be the question uh, for some of the candidates that are fighting for uh, to, to take over a seat that someone already has is that they have a lot of ideas. And I've, I've been there. I've been on the side with a lot of ideas, right? I've been on the side where I've seen all of those people uh, be supportive too. How are you going to fund this and how is it going to work financially? Yeah. really great work and make the things happen. Um, but when we talk about our budget, we, you know, we have to make sure that our budget is a reflection of our priorities as a city. And so we're going to be looking at ways in which we can look at that budget, the procurement process, and where are we spending duplicative funds? Where are we spending funds and can we reverse some of those funds? We've seen it recently with Events BC and taking some of that fund to help people who are, um, you know, who don't qualify for unemployment insurance. That's a way we can take some funds. It's also about building new revenue. You know, you've noted that I am endorsed by the Sierra Club and 350C and other environmental justice groups. I am absolutely in support of a Green New Deal. With that comes new revenue. You, when you have a Green New Deal, you can build new revenue, a congestion tax, right, for individuals coming into our city, um, out of Maryland, Virginia, out of state drivers coming into our city, we can implement a, con a congestion tax. That's one way we can bring in new funding into our city. Um, we have to look at our federal reserves. This is why statehood is so important. One, because we just missed out on over $750 million by not having statehood. But the federal government is actually giving money in the federal reserves to different localities and municipalities. And so even right now, we need to be looking at how we can qualify for some of those funds and making sure we're not going those funds like we just did with the Head Start funds. Um, so yes. I'm going to be looking at new sources of revenue. I'm going to be looking at the federal government and, and making sure that we're applying that revenue. And I'm going to be looking at reverting some of the wasted money we spend on, you know, in different ways like events DC and reverting that money to, to solve some of our problems. And so you, you once again, you have, you know, a lot of endorsements. So clearly, you, you don't have any of the current council members that, that have got, except Alyssa Silverman that's got behind you. Uh, the Washington Post has, you know, endorsed uh, the person you're running against, Brandon Todd. And they're saying that, you know, some of your stuff uh, may be, you know, too far out there and, and put us going back uh, to where the district uh, is spending too much more than it has. What is your thoughts on that? The district is doing financially very well, as I said, with the rainy day fund, um, and we are in a position to do that. Um, we've seen even during this crisis right now, you know, even when in the presidential election, people are like, how are you going to fund it? How are you going to fund it? And all of a sudden, banks start getting bailed out for trillions of dollars, right? And so the narrative is always to paint that we don't have the money to serve, you know, our communities, right? And that's the narrative, you know, that people would like to, to present. Um, but I absolutely believe that we can solve. We, we've seen it happen. We've seen that it's possible in solving our problems in homelessness. We don't have to have a chronic homelessness 
problem. And in fact, if we solve that problem, we'll see like they did in the Midwest, in Utah, Minnesota. When you solve housing problems, you also spend less in criminal justice. You also spend less uh, in, in, in spending when it comes to health uh, and health care services and, and weighing on that. And so it's an investment to invest in people because when you do that, you spend less overall as a city. And so, you know, I don't think that my ideas are far reaching um, at all. You know, I'm an attorney, I'm practical. Um, I've, I've been in, in education and criminal justice. And so I'm not really going to bring that practicality to the position. Um, but I'm also going to bring a voice that's been missing um, on the council. And that is, you know, demanding that working families, that this, this, we well, hey, there you have it. Once again, it's Janice uh, Lewis George, a candidate for Award Four. And Janice, let me say, you know, most sometimes it always real talk. A lot of times we, you know, we don't, you know, get too much into local stuff. But clearly, this is a race that everyone's paying attention to. Clearly, you've, uh, you've got a lot of energy behind what you're doing. You have a lot to say. Clearly, we went over our lot of time because you had so much to say about uh, your election. The election is on uh, June the what? It's June 2nd. That's June right. 2nd. Everyone can vote every day. Early voting is happening right now. 8.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. You can early vote um, all the way up until June 2nd. Absolutely. You can go in. This year, you can go anywhere to vote. So you could go to any voting poll place and you can vote. You don't have to vote at the one, the two or one or two they have in your ward. You can go anywhere. And, uh, and there's 22 of them that you can go vote. Exercise your right and get out to vote. Janice, thank you very much. Uh, and we look forward to uh, maybe having you back on uh, after the election is over. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, hey. You know what? If it's always real talk, you know it's going to be real.